Hey there, thoughtful listener. What is your number one lead generation blocker? Head to upmyinfluence.com slash quiz to find out right now. That's upmyinfluence.com slash quiz, and I'll share why you aren't getting the intros and sales you deserve. We're also actively seeking guests for this daily commercial-free entrepreneur wisdom podcast. Agency owners, consultants, coaches, and B2B service providers, head to upmyinfluence.com slash guest, and I'd love to promote your expertise to our amazing audience. Let's get on with the show. With us right now, it is the VP of Marketing for Rootstrap. It's Patrick Ward. Patrick, uh, you are found on the web at rootstrap.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Josh. All right, a high-level overview. What does Rootstrap do? So Rootstrap is a custom software development agency. But as I always say, that means nothing to no one. So the way that I like to describe us is we are the tech team behind Masterclass. So if you decide to learn a Gordon Ramsay recipe during the pandemic, that was using our technology. And and your technology specifically where, so on all of the, so obviously, you know, production, the video and so forth, and they needed, what, what was it that Masterclass needed uh, that that you were able to provide specifically? So Masterclass certainly had the relationships with the celebrities and they had all the capabilities when it came to video production, like you alluded to. But the thing that they really struggled with was scaling a tech platform. Because the funny thing about Masterclass, like many similar services, is as they scale their capabilities in terms of delivering that content, suddenly they're getting more and more users, they're getting millions and millions of people. And that obviously exhaust the bandwidth. You need your technology to be able to flex, you know, right up to when you have millions of people online, all the way down to when it's, uh, you know, 2 a.m. and there's maybe only a couple of people watching a particular masterclass. And so that's really where they tapped us. And then you not only needed to have that scale in their tech infrastructure, but you also need it to work across all the different platforms so that the experience on mobile is the same as the experience on web is the same as the experience on the Roku TV, for example, Uh, because you and I, as a consumer, Josh, we don't care what we're consuming the platform on. We just want, you know, the content, but, you know, all of that backend, all of that technical infrastructure is very complicated to make it look as seamlessly as possible to you as the end user. Yeah. Well, and I suspect that if someone is paying a premium to be able to access the masterclass platform, um, they're going to be pretty dissatisfied if, you know, they spend all this money, which again, masterclass is competing with platforms like YouTube, right? Where, you know, the the videos are out there, like there's content out there. We're swimming in content. Um, You will never get to the end of the rabbit hole. (laughs) That's if you want to learn something and you can do so for free. So obviously, you know, they're looking at this. We need to be able to provide a superior experience from a UX standpoint, UI standpoint, that our users are going to realize 
this ain't just some, you know, web page with a membership area or like teachable or lint or look what, what is it? Teachable, uh, whatever the ific one is, uh, uh, you know, that that's kind of what they're up against. So you want to maybe, you know, kind of take the best elements of those things and then say, yeah, but how can we let users know mm, you're someplace a little bit premium? And, and that's probably one of the big challenges. Absolutely. You always need to think about every single touch point that a user is having with your platform is a, a case where your reputation is on the line. And so even something as simple as making sure things don't buffer, um, regardless of what internet connection, like there's all these anomalies that in many cases you can build you know, fail safes into the platform first, even if the user is everywhere from the United States to maybe they're living in China, maybe they're living in Europe, maybe they're living in APAC, wherever they may be in the world with vast dif differing internet connections, you still want to be able to deliver that same premium experience because you're absolutely right that the, the value prop of why you're spending uh, with Masterclass. And let's be honest, like it is one of the more expensive uh, streaming platforms out yeah. there when we compare to, you know, some of the other players in the game. And a big part of that price point is because it's premium prestige pricing. And, you know, that was always Masterclass's value offering that, hey, you know, we have brought together the best minds, like the best experts, you know, top of their fields, everyone from, you know, Steph Curry to teach you basketball all the way through to Martin Scorsese teaching you script writing. You know, those, that level of caliber of expert deserves a premium platform. And so that was the big thing that uh, Masterclass tapped us in terms of being able to provide them that technical know-how because they... They knew the relationships and they knew how to put on a good premium show, shall we say. Mm. But when it came to the tech, that was where they struggled when they first came to us because suddenly they said, hey, Rootstrap, we need your capabilities because we're up against uh, the other folks in Silicon Valley. You know, we're trying to recruit against the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, like all of these big companies who scoop up most of the tech talent. So where can we find them? And that's where they found us. And, you know, we've been very lucky and fortunate having been around for about 11 years now and built a truly globally distributed team where we think less about where can we find talent in one specific location, but more, okay, tech talent is something that we pride ourselves on attracting. Let's attract that tech talent regardless of where that would be. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of, even in my own team, I always tell people, you know, I manage a team of 12 marketers and we're distributed across mm. four, four continents. Like that is wild to me to think that I've got folks all the way from India to Portugal, to South America, and even here in the United States. Yeah. You know, um, so I'm curious now, Patrick, you know, how you use that same you know, kind of focus and like, aside from masterclass, because it's a, that's a great concept to kind of begin with. What is the typical uh, use case that, that you are working with, um, with other clients? So obviously, you know, with this show, we've got a lot of folks that have been in business for five or more years. Um, who would be a really great fit 
uh, for uh, the work that you're doing at Rootstrap? So I think the, the general buckets that we see are one of two. They're either a senior level engineering executive, so like a VP of engineering, and that's someone who understands, you know, high quality coding standards. And, you know, we're very transparent about that. You can find on our GitHub repositories, um, you know, I even say myself, like I'm a non-technical person, but technical people tell me that our coding standards are top notch. And I think that's one area that people find a lot of value when they're engaging us in a staff augmentation capacity, looking for high uh, quality specific technical expertise that they can't find in their own internal teams. And then the other type of person tends to be similar to myself, a VP of marketing, someone who has a particular tech project that they need to get done. Maybe they're trying out a new prototype. Maybe they're trying to bring a new idea to market for a particular legacy enterprise. And the legacy enterprise doesn't have enough staff members internally who can do it. Uh, they tend to come to Rootstrap going like, hey, you know, I've got the budget approval for, you know, a hundred to $200,000. And that might sound like a lot of money, but for some of these enterprises that are dealing with multi-million dollar yeah. um, uh, engagements on a, on an annual basis, you know, it's, it's peanuts to them. And they're going, look, can you help us, you know, think like a startup? Can you help us go through the whole exercise of road mapping, prototyping, uh, building out those uh, design wireframes all the way through to mm. user testing and research and then finally launching it to market. Um, and so those tend to be the two buckets that people fall into us, either project if they've got like some specific uh, time-boxed initiative they're trying to get done or they're looking for more ongoing technical expertise in, in the case of staff augmentation. You know, I hope you don't mind me, Patrick. I, I want to ask you just your general advice on working with and and identifying and hiring and, and you know, kind of like how to make a good decision. So, it, you know, if I'm a business owner and 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 we absolutely need uh, you know a great developer to design great user experience, um, you know, for our uh, you know for our customers, or, you know, guests, etc. What's some general recommendations that you'd make? Oh, yeah, if you're going to be hiring someone, here are some things you might want to, you know, look into, ask, et cetera. I'd, I'd love your take on that. Yeah, this is something that really close to my heart because I've worked with developers right across the world. I've worked with developers in India, New Zealand, uh, South America, obviously, Eastern Europe. The, the key thing to remember with developers is that when you start pushing the timelines, when you start saying to the developer, how quickly and how cheaply can you get something done? Most developers will do it. They will acquiesce yeah. to what you're demanding, but there will be a price. The funny thing is I look at every time that I've been most successful, even with my own tech projects, you know, the most recent one I can think of is we were doing a whole, whole overhaul of my website. And I specifically hired a developer who had way more technical expertise than me. And I told him, you tell me the roadmap of how long this should take. And I'm not going to tell you any sort of other timeline. What do you know when he launches it, it doesn't have any technical deficiencies. The performance scores on like objective third-party uh, uh, systems rank our site now at a 99 across mobile and desktop. 
And all of that, I, I asked my developer, why did that happen? It's like, well, because you didn't force me to make compromises that I didn't want to make. Because this often happens is developers understand that, you know, there are budgets to think about, there are timelines, maybe you've got investors on the hook, but there is always a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And so I think this is one area where people often get caught up in the price points of software development, because let's be honest, it is expensive. Even yeah. to this day, I still say to people, look, if you're looking to build a full you know, mobile application and you found it and it's, you know, someone's said, oh, I can do it for 20K, chances are it's not going to, it's going to be broken in about six months. This <laughs> happens all the time that people think they're getting a good deal. Oh, well, software is a commodity now, they say. It's like, yes, it's a commodity, but you know, in the same way that you obviously pay more for certain brands that you have a stronger affinity for, you know, the, the same thing applies in software development. But I will say that one big piece of advice that I want to give to anyone who is looking to start some sort of initiative, think of how you can do it first using fairly economical tools. Can you create, you know, a Squarespace site that could do somewhat of the initial proof of concept because I think too many people rush into building the technology rather than realizing, do I have true product market fit? If I have that first, then I can start to explore the true technical capabilities of what it takes to bring something to life. But I always say to people, the, you know, the best example we had of this was Chelsea Handler's team. They came to us, they simply said, we want to build a mobile application. We said to them, why do you want to build a mobile app? Yeah, great question. Great first question. <laughs> right. they, and, and, and through that exploration, the funny thing is what we found out is that actually all they needed was a mobile responsive website. So we uh, saved them $200,000 and said, oof. look, go out. You can you know, go to Squarespace, go to Wix. They took a little bit of their team members' time. I think it cost them $5,000 all up. So saved them almost $200,000 just by saying to them, you really don't need this. Now, most people say, Patrick, you're crazy. Why would you have sold against yourself? Because there's no point taking someone's money if we're not going to deliver value for them. Mm -hmm. By doing yeah. that, Chelsea has been the biggest advocate for us you know, ever since, and that was two years ago, yeah. purely because she understood that we actually cared to listen to her ask her what her true needs are, and then de develop the solution that's right for her. Uh, I think yeah, that's I mean, one really important thing that most people need to consider yeah. when, when engaging with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, that would have been a huge feather in your cap as well. You know, just thinking about it from a, you know, hey, not only, you know, are we the development team behind Masterclass and Tony Robbins, which we'll talk about in just a second, uh, Chelsea Handler. So it's hard to say, I'm going to turn down this or I'm going to advise against hiring us. You're also kind of losing that, you know, that authority that you'd pick up from, you know, which is, uh, again, Chelsea Handler is a very well-known name. And it's, it's great. It would be another great feather on your cap. But what a... What a great story in terms of your integrity, um, which today, you know, I would argue is um, it's absolutely, you know, 
not being afraid to, you know, advise against when, you know, you're having a conversation with someone and say, yeah, I don't think we'd be the best solution for you. In fact, I would probably, you know, and then, you know, just work at truly advocating for others uh, is just such a great way to go. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the funny thing is this has happened more and more since I <laughs> involved with Rootstrap because unfortunately that has been the traditional path of our industry yeah. in that the world of software development has generally tried to take advantage of the information asymmetry. They yeah. tried to take advantage of the fact that, Hey, we have technical expertise. You don't have technical expertise. So you're just going to have to do what we say. I always prefer to educate the consumer about, hey, this is all the different steps. This is very transparent. You can even bring on, perhaps you have a technical co-founder who can look at our GitHub repositories. They can check the coding standards. You know, it's all there laid out for you to see because ultimately that is what wins the best long-term relationships. You know, when people come to me saying like, hey, I've got $10,000, I'm like, you know what? With that amount of money, you're better off going to an independent developer, maybe someone you can exchange some equity for because you're not going to be able to work with us. You know, it wouldn't feel good for me taking your money. And by doing that, by being able to stay in your lane, you end up attracting more customers that actually do fit your mold and do actually intersect at that perfect opportunity where the skills that we provide are a match to, to what they're seeking to get. Yeah. Hey, um, you, I'm going to ask you this just because I've seen you share some good content in and around this. Um, do, you, do you mind kind of talking about, um, you know, your your culture and and how you operate as a team internally and maybe how that's evolved? I, I, you know, obviously you're working in a space where, you know, you're you know, your team members are likely interested in, you know, some sort of a hybrid, uh, you know, or, you know, a little more virtual, uh, you know, kind of operation. I, I don't know, you know, where you are today, but, you know, when you talk with other business leaders that are concerned about company culture and productivity and, uh, you know, the other things that might be beneficial from, you know, having, having everyone to, to, together, what have you been talking about on that subject? So this is uh, one near and dear to me, Josh, and I'm going to come at you with a couple of hot takes here because <laughs> right now we're in the midst of everyone obsessing about return to office. Um, we've yeah. even seen uh, some of the more notable names like Elon um, just echo some of these awful, awful fallacies. My perspective on remote work was, look, if you were relying on the office to do your management style effectively, then chances are you are a bad manager to begin with. Because the funny thing that I found going into the pandemic is, look, it is a little difficult, right? When you are managing people across different time zones, different continents, it can be challenging, but you can rise to it as a manager. And I wanna give one piece of tactical advice here that really helped me. It was doing a daily stand-up, it was 30 minutes, and the mandate for that stand-up was come into this stand-up, you're not going to speak about work, you're just going to come and spend some time in a virtual Zoom meeting. At the end of the pandemic, you know, sort of like 
mid 2021, once, you know, things had sort of died down, we'd started getting vaccines and everything was, you know, sort of settling down. I had multiple team members say, Patrick, that was the one thing that saved my mental health during the pandemic. And it made such a connected team. Now we still, you know, we'll do uh, on sites together, you know, sort of periodically, maybe once or twice a year where we can all come together and meet and brainstorm and it's really functional. But I refuse to believe that we needed to be together in person three, five days a week in an office to build that culture. It's not necessary. You just need to change your approach. And when you think about it, like what is it about the remote work that is so difficult to grasp? You just need to change the rules of how you organize meetings, how many meetings you organize, how you set up the cadences. You know, I'll always do a one-on-one where I talk work with an employee. I'll have a separate one that I do each month with them, which I call career progression. And that's like, okay, let's, let's move the, the, the weekly task to the side. Let's talk about, you know, how you're feeling about the company, how you're feeling about where you're headed. You know, what are the sort of, you know, key professional uh, challenges that you're facing on you know a broad scale where do you want to be in the next you know two to five years in your career these sorts of conversations they build so much trust with an employee that suddenly you get this really positive culture where people are helping each other they're interacting with each other independent of me right that's i think the big thing that managers feel like everything has to revolve around them no it doesn't you just need to create the environment the space where people can flourish and be their best productive selves. And, and as for going back to the office, that's not happening anytime soon. That developer yeah. I talked about uh, recently, he was not looking for a job. He was, he's the best developer I've ever hired in my over a decade of experience. And the reason I got him was he has a young child at home that he has to look after. And I said to him, well, Mario, I can give you a hundred percent remote. He said, done. Wow. That's the power of remote. Yeah. You know, to me, it almost feels like, um, you know, folks that argue against the market. Oh, I'm smarter than the market. I, ultimately, you know, you're, you're at the mercy of the market. You work for the market. And so, you know, if you insist on, um, hey, if you want to come work for me, then you're going to have to do the things you don't like. Well, you can do that, but you're going to absolutely limit your, you, you just have a, much smaller labor pool now that that you can work with. And so, you know, it's kind of your choice. Hey, listen, I wanted to mention, um, Patrick, your book, Money Matters, um, which, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a book, it's a series. And uh, so you are in uh, volume three, edition five, uh, which you co-wrote um, with, with Adam Torres. Um, but we've got a link to that in the show notes. Um, we just have a minute left, um, but but uh, who who would that be appropriate for that book? So this is appropriate for any uh, CEOs or entrepreneurs of like small to mid-size agencies who have probably conceptualized a marketing in the wrong way. And so basically, what I go into the into the book about is that 
marketing used to be all about, you know, being the party people, making things look pretty. Then it shifted way too much towards growth hacking of measuring absolutely everything to the point that it became stale and boring. And so I'm advocating what I call this middle ground, which I've dubbed the marketing transformation mindset. And so it's a simple five-step process that I've used at the last three companies I've been a part of, everything from $1 million agencies all the way up to a $300 million financial conglomerate and how they can really, how any company can transform its marketing to deliver the results that it really wants. Yeah. Again, that's uh, Money Matters, Volume 3, Edition 5. Uh, again, we've got that all linked up. And uh, and then, of course, um, the website, rootstrap.com. Um, one thing you want to do when you go there is just look at the case studies. Um, we, you know, we didn't really have time to talk about the Tony Robbins uh, app, which I'm a consumer of, I've used. Uh, uh, wallet joy. I'm, I'm just really enjoying your case studies. You know, you kind of really just break it down exactly what you did with uh, Masterclass, Ownable, Wallet Joy, Tony Robbins, and others. Uh, and again, that's at rootstrap.com. Patrick Ward, um, you uh, again are the, um, the vice president of marketing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. If you're a listener, I'd love to shout out your business to our whole audience for free. You can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or join our listener Facebook group. Just search for The Thoughtful Entrepreneur in Facebook. I'd love even if you just stopped by to say hi. I'd love to meet you. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. We love our community who listens and shares our program every day. Together, we are empowering one another as thoughtful entrepreneurs. Hit subscribe so that tomorrow morning, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you for around 15 minutes each day. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.